weekly dose of blue tunes and sad croons here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Tune in and cry it out with me, DJ Susie. Yeah, this one right here goes out to all the babies, mamas, 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 mamas. <laughs> Baby mamas, mamas. Yeah, go like this. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. I am from Peter. That's where I am. Listen, baby. Confused is my command. I am from Peter. Go find myself. No, I'm not Just you and nothing else. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Never seems that long until you're grown And notice that the day by day ruler can't be too wrong Miss Jackson, my intentions were good, I wish I could Become a magician to Africa, ever all the sadder Thoughts of me, thoughts of she, thoughts of he Asking what happened to the feeling that her and me had I pray so much about it, need some knee pads It happened for a reason, one can't be mad So know this, know that everything's cool And yes, I will be present on the first day of school and graduation I'm sorry, Miss Jackson Ooh, I am for real You know what, your peep this, la-di-da-di We like the party, we don't cause trouble Oh yeah Oh yeah, we don't have enough time for to play this whole mashup. It's an old mashup anyway. Here's a little Shawnee's for you, real quick. I love your smile, bottom heads. <laughs> it's the worst. Race to the bottom. From the Winslow T. Broadcast Booth in Drizzly, Bushwick, Brooklyn, I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, 
And this is Race to the Bottom, baby. Yeah. As always, my opening monologue is sponsored by Winslow Tea, and I've got a big bottle of it. Is this a bottle? I've got a Nalgene bottle. I went, I'm going to Visco. I look back on my life. Everybody had Nalgene bottles. I don't think I ever had one. But I was like, I got to up my um, water and fluid intake, my Winslow intake, and I've got to reduce my plastic uh, bottle consumption. So I, I got this Nalgene, and I'm about to take a big, big sip of Winslow tea. Watch this. Mmm. Mmm. That is good. That might be the best Winslow I've ever had. I don't know. Maybe I, I steeped it perfectly. And you can steep perfectly into the conversation by hashtagging your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know to steep into the conversation. That's how we do it around these here parts. We also do mashups. I got a got a big one coming, but uh, that that was a the mashup you heard was from this time last year. It's kind of a true mashup as far as putting two things uh, together. We heard Miss Jackson from Andre Three Thousand, an outcast. My favorite rapper, who my seventh graders didn't believe was real they asked they said mr reed who's who's your favorite rapper i said andre 3000 they laughed oh they did they laugh and then in subsequent classes they would bring it up mr reed you still like andre 3000 i guess they wanted me to say nba young boy But we heard from uh, their a cappella version of Miss Jackson, which is on the 20th anniversary of their album Stankonia. And I laid that right on top. It, it took some snipping and tucking, but I put that on I Know Corita off of the Quincy Jones album The Dude. And we've and boy do we have the dude on the show today. In a little while we have Mike Vago calling in to help us figure out this the topic of the day, which I would love to hear from you. You can hit me up in the in the the chat. You or you can uh, you know text me, email me. People are are uh, the chat is the chat is lived. Chat is live. We got uh, this guy, Touchdown. I don't know who this dude is. This is the same guy who called me out for lying to uh, one of our guests.
Looks like we've got some other people. Yep. Got the, you, um, I, I put the link and, we, and pretty soon we're going to, we've got a rebooted race to the bottom.org. Go stop by the, the website, the 2.0, thanks to the hardworking volunteers here at the station. And by the way, this is, this is all for the love guys. We're not amateurs, but we do do it for the love. And uh, all volunteer. So if if you like what you hear, you can click. Uh, there's a green donate button up there. Oh, Mike Vago on the chat just brewed up some Winslow tea, and he's all ready to go. All right, I'll talk to you in about ten minutes, buddy. So I, I put the link to the the chat, but soon it's going to be on the new website. And and while you're there. You can uh, sign up for our newsletter. We only hit you up once a month. We've got like 80 shows on this dang station. It's good, some good stuff. So um, we'd love to. Uh, we'd love it if you were part of the Race to the Bottom community. Is basically what I'm saying. Unfortunately, Mike was going to come in studio, and I was going to do this thing. You ever see this on podcasts? This is cool. When they smoke weed in the studio, <laughs> wow! It's so, it's it's so groundbreaking. You saw Elon Musk smoking weed on the Joe Rogan podcast. That was cool. Saw Kanye West taking a, a hit of weed, descending further into his psychic break. We were gonna do that. Because it's it's legal now, and that kind of leads me back to my topic. I didn't say what the topic was. What are things that you used to love but now don't, or things that you never loved but now do? I'd love to hear from you. You can hit us up on the socials. Go to the race to the bottom chat. I put the link on on the Twitter feed. Things that you used to love, now you don't. Or things that you never loved and now you do. And um, I think maybe for for some of us uh, kind of older older folks like me, I'm 74. Um, <laughs> no, but like, you know, I can joke around about Mike Vago coming and and uh, doing a doobie in the in the in the Winslow Broadcast booth because it's legal now. But for a lot of us, we miss that boat. I don't even, I don't, I don't care. Well, they say youth is wasted on the young. And uh, legalization is, is, would it be wasted on the old? What I'm trying to say is, uh, Charlie's Angels don't get down like that anymore. So that would fall into the category of used to love it, now I don't. But uh, could sure uh, let some people out of jail. Hope, hope that happens. But it was gonna, you know, it was if if Vega was in the studio, it would be like a classic hang. We're still going to hang on the phone, but that classic hang, like, 
when Jimmy Fallon gets to hang out with like Paul McCartney and Steve Martin? How is that a possibility? Jimmy Fallon? Like you hear about these dinners? Yeah, it was like Paul McCartney and Steve Martin, Martin Short, Ringo Starr, Jimmy Fallon at the, sitting there at the table, yucking it up. Give me a break. Jimmy Fallon should get um, really uh, ripped. Get all muscly. Because that's what I love in my comedians is lots of muscle. Has anybody brought up how Dave Chappelle really starting to started stinking it when he got um when he got all muscle? He he's a, back in the Chappelle show. He's like a scrawny little guy, little weaselly guy. He's hilarious. He was lovely when I saw him in at Radio City Music Hall. You could like see the muscles popping. From our our nosebleed seats. Got all these strong comedians. Another another person that is wearing thin, and and my wife is probably really tired of hearing me say this. I love, uh, and I guess I still do, Kate McKinnon. But man, those cell phone ads that she's in, she commits too much to the cell phone ad where it's like, what is it, like AT&T? She's too excited about AT&T where I felt like she's like a, got a lot of integrity. I don't know. Should put these people in a lineup. I got a question. I saw. I was watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, and there was this scene where <laughs> Larry, um, they couldn't tell the difference between uh, the the guy just saw all all bald people looked the same, so he was in this lineup, and he got off because there was another bald guy. Who's a black guy, but the guy couldn't, he couldn't tell. Just saw the baldness. I really, I I think people see me like that. But anyway, here's a question about lineups. You know, the old fashioned lineup where they're like, you know, you're in the dark room so they can't see, see you identifying them. Do they, (laughs) how do they get the, people in in the lineup i'm serious do they get like other people from uh that are in jail be like all right come on we need you for a lineup or are they other people who happen to be in the police precinct at the time or do they have like i have no i seriously i thought about this I might be blowing a a lid here. They just have a bunch of, like, extras standing around? Lookalikes? Can you go on Craigslist and and 
get like a daily wage for popping up in lineups? That's the kind of stuff I think about. What are people saying on the chat here? Weird. I'm going to have to parse some of this stuff. Anyway, this touch down, touch this guy touchdown, who likes to bust my beans on here, says he used to love A1 sauce, pranks, blues traveler. Now he loves anchovies, olives, orange rind, bitter everything, drab English TV programming, plain ice cream, yogurt. By plain touchdown, I guess you mean vanilla. That shows your bias. Biased people. He says no add no add-ons is my in my life are needed. I guess he's got everything he needs. Well, good for you, touchdown. Sencha and Crips here in Chelsea. Kevin Spacey. Oh yeah. Oh, this is a whole yeah. Um, Julian brings up a, a big thing that I'll talk with Mike Vago. I think a lot of the things that you used to love art-wise, or or I did, is is because, um, you know, they got canceled, quote unquote. Which I've said it before on the show. That's their fault, right? cancel culture's fault that Bill Cosby got canceled might it be Bill Cosby's fault might it be Louis CK's fault put him in the lineup We got a phone call. I think it might be our guest. Race to the bottom. Yes, it is your guest. Oh my goodness! And what a voice! What I a voice! That music was maybe some. Uh, that was my cue. That was kind of your cue. That was you. You know who that was, Mike Vago. That no, was who was that? That was listener Tim. That that was a a, a guy who I grew up with, my best friend growing up, and uh, the show. Oh, that's great. The show has a kind of. Um, Re- reunited our our uh, friendship, so um, that's been a, a plus of of the past year for for me oh, and, cool. I and the show. It sounded like you'd done some crate digging from the seventies. That was a, that was a nice little piece of music. That's called BHS, and his his name is Tim Bowers. You can uh, check him out on on all the things. How's it going, Mike Vago? Here to talk about used to love it, now I don't. Never loved it, now I do. How's it? Uh, how's how's it hanging? Good, good. And I'm I'm calling in this time. I've been in the studio the last couple of times. I do like coming out, um, and hanging out in the studio and doing this in person, especially after COVID, when 
you know, we didn't get to do a lot of things in person yeah. for a long time. Um, and just too much going on this weekend. But I, like I said in the chat, I brewed up some Winslow tea Good. right here. I'm going to take a big sip. So I feel like I'm, I'm in the room with yeah. you in spirit. Oh, man. that's I think that's the first time somebody's done a sip uh, on, the, on the phone. That's... Uh, I appreciate that, and I think probably the the Winslow uh, marketing team does as well. Well, I'm not even being paid. It's just they make some nice, they make some very flavorful tea. <laughs> they do. So let's let's get into the topic. Because every time I feel like we could go on for another half hour. Yeah, and before we do, um, people got to ch- uh, check out uh, Mike Vago's show because I hear I hear Mike Vago's voice, and I feel like I'm listening to a great podcast called. Why is this not a movie? Uh, which, you know, how how many episodes have you done of the sixty or something? Not that. Hang on, I, I, I can pull that pull up that number. Um, and the show is on hiatus right now. Um, but you got tons. I of- took a little. I took a little break at the end of the episode. Yeah, but there's some, there's great archives up with me sharing my own ideas and then guests from kind of all over. But. Um, you know, friend friend of yours and friend of the sh- this show, Scott Bunn, has come mm-hmm. on a bunch of times. And I wrote for a long time for the AV Club, the pop culture website. So I've got some other pop culture writing folks coming in and sharing. And the idea is people just have ideas for movies and ask me why it's not a movie. And they lay out their idea and we talk about it. And then we play sort of fantasy, you know, cat, who should direct this, who should be in it, what's, you know, what's going to make this movie great. Um, it's a lot of fun. And... Uh... My favorite one recently was with the aforementioned Scott Bunn, who's who's a breakout star on on Race to the Bottom as well, and also who happens to be the guy who connected you and and me, Mike. Uh, he was on recently d- doing this uh, the the story of uh, the the like second act of Wyatt Earp, right? Is that who it was? Yeah, it was terrific. Well, yeah, Wyatt, Wyatt Earp, you know, has a shootout at the Old Gate Corral. He's this legend of the Old West. But that was sort of the middle of his life. Later in life, he goes to Hollywood in, like, the silent film era when Hollywood's just getting started. And he gets hired as a consultant on the original, like, Westerns because he was there. Like, if you want to know what went down to the Old West, you just ask Wyatt Earp. Yeah. But he was also a bounty hunter. And so the, like, bird, you know, the, the nascent LAPD... If so, you know, if somebody like ran down to Mexico and was out of their jurisdiction and they needed to track them down, they'd hire the actual Wyatt Earp would go down and and track them down. And so Scott's conceit for this, which is brilliant, is get Kurt Russell, who played Wyatt Earp in Tombstone, you know, thirty years ago. You know, he's now the right age to play a thirty-year-older Wyatt Earp. Um, and so yes, Scott is also the breakout star. Why this is not a movie? Because for one, he's got that great booming radio voice. Because he does his own radio show, Run That Back, on Asheville FM, which mm-hmm. you can find out there as a podcast and on Asheville FM's website. Um, but he also, a lot of the guests have said, oh, I want to be on the show, but i got I got to think of an idea. I don't really know. And he came to me with like eight ideas. And he's like, which one of these do you want to do first? Yes. And so, why don't, why don't we sat on for like a year? Oh, wow. So that was that was the last episode of the year. I, I needed to take some time off at the end of the year to recharge. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just busy around the holidays. And so um, I'll come back in the new year. But in the meantime, that's the first one that comes up if you pull it up on uh, Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people should say it. 
I've talked about this That's on right. the show I know where before. I get my podcast, but yeah. I don't know what you do with your yeah. podcast. Everybody says it in a weird way. There, wherever you get your podcasts, it's like, yeah, no, it's the the emphasis in that sentence is on wherever you get your podcasts, because it's obviously it's not Apple Podcasts or Spotify because you've already mentioned those, right? It's like t- almost talking down to the person, like or wherever w- weird place <laughs> you get your podcast, right? That's true, because there are all these other platforms that I'm not as familiar with. Yeah, Stitcher, maybe. And I get the stats that people are listening on. Yeah. There are, there's these people who do, like, RSS feeds that aren't into iPhones. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and just to wrap up this uh, thing about uh, the uh, the Wyatt Earp movie, I texted you guys because then, right, uh, like, the next day after I listened to the, the Wyatt Earp episode— you know, you guys were talking about dream directors for this thing to direct Kurt Russell, and one of you mentioned uh, David Fincher, and then he was on uh, WTF with Mark Marin, and he uh, <laughs> and he was hilarious on that thing. By the way, uh, he's a very strange man, but he mentioned <laughs> how he still really needs to do a western, and that's what he's going to do next. And that was one of your uh, so I, I think it's kismet. Oh yeah, somebody call Fincher. And that is always the dream with the podcast that somebody will, somebody with the power to get a movie made will listen to an episode and be like, oh my god, let's let's do this right now. Yeah. Speaking of let's you know, do this, get Vago in the guest in here and yeah, write a script. Speaking of let's do this right now, let's uh, let's do this. So you did you come up with some things that you uh, used to love and now don't, or never loved and now do? I got a little of both. So which which one do you want to start with? Let's let's see. Um let's start with uh used to love and now don't. Okay. Um the biggest one I came up with was uh comfort food on TV. <laughs> because when I was younger I used to watch um you know movies I'd seen a hundred times before. I'd watch, you know, six episodes in a row law and order on a Sunday afternoon. And uh and that is a thing a lot of people do. And it's kind of a, you know, just comfort to have things on in the background that are familiar that you've seen over and over again. Mm-hmm. And this may have happened to you, too. Then I had kids. And, like, my free time became very limited, and so it became very valuable. Mm-hmm. And since then, I don't watch anything. Um, I rarely watch something I've seen before, unless it's for the kids. The kids, you know, we watched every episode of Thomas the Tank Engine many, many times when they were little. We've seen a bunch of the Marvel movies or the Star Wars as many times, you know, now that they're teenagers, but... Um, to actually block out the time to watch a two-hour movie, it's got to be something I really, really want to see. Yeah, yeah. And and also, I got to the point, I also used to watch things that were like so bad it's good, or, you know, things you kind of know are trash, but are kind of fun, whatever. And I, there's so much great film out there, and, um, and TV, and, you know, books, and everything else, that I just haven't gotten to, that, like, why would I waste time on something that either I already know, or I know isn't going to be mm-hmm. that great? Mm-hmm. Like, just getting to the cream of the crop is more than, you know, one person can do, you know, in a, with the hours allotted to you in a day. And so, um, I don't even know if my tastes have become more refined. I like the same kind of stuff. It's just, I'm a lot more selective about what I, you know, spend my time, like, what sort of entertainment I spend my time consuming. Um, I hate to break the schema because I said we were going to do. Well, I guess we can go back and forth between the two, but here's here's one that um, 
kind of off years when you said comfort food on TV. Um, I thought of one that I never loved but now do. And bear with me. I know that this one's controversial, but I've, right. I've become a big uh, Guy Fieri Diners, Drive Ins, and Dives fan. Um, and that's comfort, that literally is comfort food on TV. Um, I know people think that, uh, you know, he's, he's a buffoon and, and everything, but, uh, I, <laughs> I kind of love it because it's like he, he, yeah, he's, he's ridiculous, but he goes uh, across America lo- rolling out looking for America's greatest dry- diners, drive-ins and dives. And, uh, it's comforting to me because it kind of is the antithesis to the corporate monoculture where it's like actual people running small businesses, connecting with their communities um, and cooking food. Is the food uh, indulgent and uh, sometimes uh, over the top? Yeah, but I don't know. I That's been a big uh, kind of epiphany for me and my wife and i just sit around and watch episode after episode of guy fieri uh so and it's it's also it's not like sort of frou-frou you know fine dining no it's it's very like you know regular people food made by hard-working chefs yeah and also because i also just thought oh look at this cheese ball with frosted tips or whatever Mm -hmm. in fact i wrote a thing about the av club which i wrote a thing for the av club years ago because these two writers in brooklyn um, there was some writing contest where they were you know, doing a reading, and they wrote uh, Guy, Cru- Guy Fieri, Ted Cruz erotic fan fiction <laughs> to the horror of all the listeners. And so that was kind of a that made a splash on the internet for a couple of weeks. So I wrote a piece about that, and you know he was just kind of this ridiculous figure. And and then I started reading more about like all the charity work he does and mm-hmm. how encouraging he is to young chefs and like he's actually a really really good guy yeah. and just a, like a very positive figure everywhere he goes. Because he's also, like you said, he's helping out these small mom and pop, you know, diners and um, and really heralding a lot of talented unknown chefs. Like both my brothers are chefs, so that that means a lot to me. Um, so yeah, I, I too have come around on Guy Fieri, and now really like him. He's officiated like twenty seven uh, gay marriages too. He's a um, wow. Yeah, he's got it. He got his. I don't know how he started doing that, but he's like that's a a, a go to for him. Um, so this is a quick side story. Um, but one of the first episodes they did of why there's not a movie was a little Richard biopic. Okay. Because he's got a fascinating, I mean, he, he was instrumental in inventing rock and roll and he also has a lot of fascinating life. Part of that was he had this push pull between, uh, the church that he was brought up and mm-hmm. started singing in and then the sort of secular, you know, devil's music that he, you know, helped invent. And so more than once in his career, he quit music and went back to the church. And so after his initial rush of fame, he very abruptly quit, like in the middle of a tour, dropped everything, became a minister. And when Clint Dorton was a Bible salesman and also performed weddings, so can you imagine, wow. it's 1962, you're getting married, uh, they announce you know, Reverend, Reverend Penniman will be here any minute now, and Little Richard comes up Wow! Yes. and performs your wedding. So there are people out there who were married by Little Richard. That's amazing. Which just blows my mind. Um, all right, let's do one well, one guest one, and then we'll go back to you. How's that? How's that? Sure, we'll do sure. you, me, guest uh, is will be our our thing. My wife, uh, or you, me, uh, listener. I mean, um, 
My wife said this one when I told her about this topic, and I thought that this was excellent, and I think probably a lot of people feel this way. She was obsessed with the Smashing Pumpkins in middle school and high school, and then when... Um, and then became uh, kind of demystified by them when she figured out like who Billy Corgan was, um, and you know, I think that like that, as a person, yeah. Um, and I totally relate to that because I remember seeing uh, Smashing Pumpkins like on 120 Minutes on MTV and like hearing the songs, and they were so kind of like, um, kind of enigmatic and everything and then you see this like bald rat looking guy um and hear some of his uh his takes and it it, it really a very demystifying uh experience so that's that's a uh uh used to love it now i don't yeah i think he's kind of a like conservative in an obnoxious way and also weirdly super into into wrestling <laughs> which is not what you would expect but he apparently like sort of bought into a like regional sort of small time pro wrestling league around Chicago where he's from. so yeah he's, he's interesting but I can also understand uh, not being a big fan of him as a person yeah and he's very into himself as well uh, yeah 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 alright what, what do you got next well, things that grew on me since we're, we were talking about comfort food, the biggest food that grew on me is Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. Because as a red-blooded American child, I hated all vegetables, but Brussels sprouts were uniquely terrible even within the pantheon of vegetables. Yes. And my dad always hated them, too, so we rarely had them at home, but they just had this reputation as being, like, the bad thing. <coughs> I... Excuse me. I'm a little bit of a cold. Oh, but then as an adult, I rediscovered them. And they're, they're delightful. I love Brussels sprouts now. Same. They grow good ones right here in New Jersey. And um, so I thought, oh, I just, I've grown up now, and I have a more sophisticated palate, and I'm an adult, and I like adult things. And don't just eat candy all the time. Yeah. And, um, but then I discovered that, I discovered a few years ago, somebody crossbred Brussels sprouts until they came with a variety that tasted better. There was some, like, botanist out there who also grew up hating Brussels sprouts and was like, why are these things so bitter and so, like, bad? Wow. What if we made good ones? Like the, the Brussels sprouts you get in the store now are like Honeycrisp apples. Like somebody <laughs> like crossbred and crossbred until they came up with the perfect one. And so it's not that my taste have changed. Brussels sprouts have legitimately gotten better over the years. Interesting. So hooray for genetically engineered food. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's definitely that. And, and I was saying this dude, uh, touchdown on the chat, uh, is like a big, uh, said every, everything bitter. I think, I think our tastes, I agree with you that that probably Brussels sprouts have been improved, but they still have a bitterness. And I think when you, I probably some kind of a flavor scientist could explain this about how you kind of crave more bitter tastes as as you get older. You kind of move away from candy and more into uh, into you know you you want you want a little you know acidity and and uh, more of an acerbic taste. Um, that that's like I I was never a uh, I always thought gin was disgusting, um, and then uh, a few years ago I I was like I get it now I I get why gin is is something that that one would ingest. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of alcohol that I've come around on, 
Um, but alcohol-wise, I still don't like things that are bitter. I've never liked beer. Okay, which kind of made me a social. Par- yeah, which has kind of made me a social pariah. Mm-hmm. And I still, I realized recently that I basically just drink candy, like anything with sugar. I like, <laughs> I like cider. I like rum. I like Bailey's. Okay. I like white wine. And um, and yeah, stuff stuff that's bitter. I just don't. I don't go for even to this day. What do you go for? Do, do let's do another one of yours. What's something that you've you, another one you've come around to? Um, oh, here's here's a very timely one. Paul McCartney. Yes. Me too. Not that I ever disliked Paul, but he was never my favorite Beatle. I started off as a John guy. Same. He was the one who was clever and sarcastic, and mm-hmm. he wrote kind of cool lyrics, and that's all very cool when you're like a teenager and you're first getting into the Beatles. Then in my 20s, I came around to George. He was the cool, aloof mm-hmm. one, and basically I got into All Things Must Pass, and his early solo stuff is so good, you just feel like, oh, well, clearly the other Beatles are holding him back, and he's, he was really the talent, and they were mm-hmm. jealous of him, and yada, yada, yada. You know, poor George. But then... You know, like everyone except you, I watched the uh, Get Back documentary. Uh, no, I'm, I'm and, on it. I just finished it as well. I, oh, good. Glad you got to see it. Okay. I, I, we shook, I shook down a, a nerd for uh, this. I, I shoved a, uh, this nerd into a uh, bathroom stall and wouldn't let him out until he gave me his Disney Plus password. There you go. Yeah. Um, but you watch the documentary, and it's great to be able to hang out with the Beatles for six hours, but also... There's just so many sort of very human dynamics at play. And you see that Paul is the, like, he's the honor student trying to get the group project done <laughs> while all of his classmates are just disinterested because John's locked out on heroin. They don't really mention that in the documentary, but that's yeah. kind of the, that's the subtext of the whole thing. And also, he, Yoko had had a miscarriage, and they were sort of mourning the, the mm-hmm. child they didn't have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and George... It's funny because he, he at one point storms out without really a word, and there's no real, like, what just happened there? Even the Beatles are kind of shocked. But he's, got, he's had all these built-up resentments. And one thing that struck me really early on in the series is that he plays All Things Must Pass, and um, Isn't It a Pity, like two of the great songs from All Things Must Pass from mm-hmm. the album for a solo album. And he plays them once, and they're never mentioned again. Yeah. And I thought, well, my man, those guys really gave him a cold shoulder. Like, these are great songs. And um, and he just went through them once, and the Beatles never like acknowledged them at all. And then I later learned that um, he didn't push those songs that hard because he was already kind of plotting on his first solo mm-hmm. album. And he mentions that. Like, well, he yeah, mentions I'll, I'll it to John myself. when Paul's when Paul's out of the room. He tells tells John, yeah. "Oh, I missed, I missed that." Oh yeah, he says, "Yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to do my own thing." I was going to give all these songs to other people, and then I said, "Why not? I, I want to do myself." Huh. Well, I, um, this, that's from the six-hour-long yeah. You uh, must have, show, a documentary. I wasn't wasn't focused on every minute of it. Yeah, you must have um, gone go, go and get see, some ice cream during Paul, that. And he, yeah. But then you see Paul, and he just wants the Beatles to keep being the Beatles. And it's like, come on, guys, like, get it together and let's write some good songs. And he's the one who comes in super prepared. He's got, like, you listen to the songs they're playing that didn't make it on the get, Let It Be, He's already got half of Abbey Road written. He's got half of his first mm-hmm. solo album written. And then he's also just coming up with new songs on the spot. So that magical moment where he's talking about when, um, you know, when he can just pull to get back out of the ether. Yeah. And, um, and also in, in the last couple of years, I've started with giving his solo albums mm-hmm. kind of another shot, especially the early ones. Yes. And he's actually like, he's, 
you know, the reputation is he just wants to fill the world with love songs, and John's the one doing challenging, interesting stuff. It's completely opposite. In those first couple solo albums, Paul's still experimenting mm-hmm. and trying out things, and John's the one writing silly love songs. Or here's... And, um, yeah. Or... And, like, John's stuff is really self-indulgent. Yeah. It, or it's Whereas like... Paul is still attacking, like, how can I make an interesting, you know, how can I make a good song in an interesting way? Yeah. Or it's like... Where this, John's like, let me put out an album of, like, background noise from my wedding. <laughs> or it's this rock and roll stuff, which I, I, I think that this is... Uh, I don't know if it's something that I used to dig and, and uh, now don't, or I think I think I just admitted to myself, and I, I talked about this on the show before, I don't like rock and roll, uh, Mike. Wow. Like, uh, by which I mean, like, when they do their, uh, a lot of the Beatles, a lot of this documentary is them hanging out and then they'll, like, play like a, a you know, a boogie-woogie Chuck Berry kind of song, you know. Went down the street and fucked me and I'm just like I don't I, I don't dig that stuff and I don't like when the Beatles do it. I don't like the the like 12 bar blues stuff they do. Um and I John a lot of what he did uh he did that uh what I find to be a, a miserable rock and roll album with Phil Spector um just kind of reliving this this association with this like 50s rock and roll stuff um which I it always kind of bums me out, um, but I yeah, and then that's I think acknowledged to be his worst his worst solo. <laughs> and but I t- I totally track with exactly with with your Beatles thing. I was a John guy, uh, then a then a George guy. I think a lot of people like John John guy growing up, George guy in your twenties, and then in, and then in your thirties forties you, you you come around to Paul. Um, I think he was he was the grown up in the band, mm-hmm. and so once you become a grown up, you're like, oh wait, he was the one doing the work, and like, yeah. you know, the more the older I get, the more I respect doing the work. But this also means when we're old men in the nursing home, we're going to be Ringo guys. <laughs> well, there was a lot of Ringo love that that came along during this this documentary, especially when he he said uh, he's like, I farted. I just thought you should know, and everybody loved, <laughs> loved that one. I have a well, he's so he's so charming and like you know the other guys are all fighting amongst themselves and he's just like, you know, just happy to show up and play the drums and and also all those covers they do all the different styles of music everything they throw at him he's just right there with it yeah like he's so not showy yeah. which I love he just again like he shows up prepared he does the work and um, but then unlike the other guys he doesn't really have any ego he's just you know whatever you need me to do I'm right here he's so loose too. He's he's so loose with his playing, and it's just he plays right to the song. I have a question for you, Mike, and I've been tossing yeah. this back and forth in my head because I've been plowing through the six-hour documentary. Is and I really go back and forth on this. Uh, is long? Is the long and winding road? Is it um, a brilliant, beautiful? perfect song or is it like uh cloying and and kind of ridiculous oh it's both yeah that's why i was thinking about this too i was i was talking to somebody in fact maybe our friend scott bunn about this that 
the wild, the wild and windy night that the rain washed away, it left yeah. me full of tears, crying for the day. My God, what lyric! Like that's just such a beautiful poetic yeah. lyric, and the song is just a chore. It's such a slog, <laughs> and Get Back has six lines that are all nonsense that he made up off the top of his head, and yeah. it's perfect and brilliant. Yeah, like it's it's just this wild contradiction about music that um, sometimes this sort of you know very flowery, well crafted song just feels like homework and it just it really just drags down that whole album and yet you can read the lyrics and think my god this guy really knows how to write but it's just no fun to listen to at all yeah and it and but then sometimes like i'll hear the very beginning of it it's a it's kind of low didn't we was it with you where i did like where part of the song or part of something is brilliant and then it's, but it, but overall, it sucks. Wasn't that a oh, topic yeah, that was we our, did? That was a that was a topic we did on the show. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's kind of uh, long and winding road. It's just too it's too long and winding. It's exactly, too long yeah. and winding. <laughs> um, but I will say this: the Let It Be album is not their best album. No, but it's the one I listened to the most as a kid. You know, my dad had. Um, he he complains to this day that uh, a friend of his in college stole a lot of his albums. So kind of all he had left was the Beatles and a couple other things. So I listened to all the Beatles stuff growing up, and like a lot of people, that was the first band I got into. But the one I listened to the most was Let It Be because it was just so weird. There are all there are these like thirty second long songs, mm-hmm. these snippets of them, you know, John's weird jokes in between songs and stuff, and um, like there's so much going on, and so much personality, and um, and George at one point, talks about he just come from Woodstock where he was hanging out with Bob Dylan. He was hanging out with Bill Dylan and the band who were making the basement tapes. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this through line of Dylan doing the basement tapes, then the Beatles doing the Get Back sessions, and the Stones, who are, of course, always behind everybody else, doing the uh, doing Exile on Main Street, of these kind of shaggy, homemade mm-hmm. recordings that, like, even if it isn't their best work, and I think Dylan did some of his best stuff, and actually with the Stones, it's probably their best. Maybe this method seems to work well for everybody. Um, just take, taking away that studio polish and having everything loose and kind of ragged um, just makes it all very compelling. Yeah. Well, it's because every... The, cause they I, don't, all... I don't want to spoil the end of the documentary for you, but they, they play on the roof. And like three of the songs on the album, they play like five songs up on the roof and three of them make, on, like, make it on yeah. the album. Yeah. That, because well, there's just this, this spontaneity to it that you can't really recapture. Yeah. Um, well, th- you know, there was like the arms race of like, uh, th- you know, the um, Pet Sounds and uh, Sgt. Pepper's and these super produced uh, studio albums. And then they kind of all pushed it as far as, as they could with that. Uh, let it bleed and stuff, and then they were like, "All right, well, we can't, we can't throw more studio production at it, so let's let's strip it, strip it down now." You know. And that's a fascinating thing about throughout the whole history of music. So many like innovations in music are just reactions to something else. Mm-hmm. You know, like prog rock was kind of at its peak in the early '70s, and then punk came along. And we're like, "No, let's do the opposite of that. Let's make it super simple." Yeah. What's what you got any more? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll right, get another music one because another thing that I love that wore thin, um, 
and this may hit home for you, I don't know, is, uh, is jazz. Mm-hmm. Because I played jazz piano in high school and college on my own with like, you know, school jazz combos. And I actually had a, like a quartet on my own. We got a gig being like the background music in a restaurant when I was in high school. And so I played a lot. I got pretty good at improvising. But after a while, I got good enough that I, it started to seem kind of empty. Mm. Like on the piano, if you know what key you're in, you know the scales in your key, then you can just hit the order and it sounds pretty good no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so I, my, my kind of strength was I could play fast. So I could just fly up and down those scales. And it always sounded pretty good. And that, doing that became easy. And so when it was easy, it stopped being interesting. And I could see the level above me. Yeah. Where you put a lot more intention and artistry in what you're playing than I was capable of at that age. And I think part of it was I got to college and, um, you know, I was in like the college wind ensemble, um, first semester. And then I realized, oh, everyone else in this room is a music major and this is their whole life. And for me, this is just a hobby. And so I'm going to, I'm behind everybody and I'm going to fall much further behind. Mm-hmm. So there's some of that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I could see like, oh, there's this level that I'm probably not going to get to. Um, where you can go beyond just mechanically playing the scales. And, um, and so that kind of killed the whole thing for me. Like it was just easier and more fun to play bass in a punk band. So I did that. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but then I also kind of went back to jazz as a, li- as a listener because so much of it, I can kind of see the, how the sausage is made and like, Oh, they're just playing scale. Like they're just mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Like the process became demystified. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things like that where once you know intimately yeah. how something works, then, um, like, like being on the radio, I, um, I founded my college radio station at University of Buffalo where I went after college, I missed doing it. I did an internet radio sta- station where I did a show playing music for years until the like royalty and licensing thing became untenable. Um, and so like program directing a radio station, even if it was college and pretty loose. I put a lot of thought into like how to make the DJ sound good. So when somebody doesn't sound good. Like, our best radio station here in Jersey City is WFMU, yeah. which is the great, you know, long-running freeform station. And, um, and some of their DJs are great. And um, some of them just, like, long pauses and rambling off topic. And that kind of thing irks me more than it should. I think I probably drive my family nuts because I will just flip between radio stations <laughs> on a dime. Uh-huh. Because, um, and then the, but I'm also not happy with, like, FUV, which is the, like, um, you know, the reported station out of Fordham that is, like, kind of NPR sort of kind of music. Um, and their DJs are just very cloying. And their music selection, too. It's all, it's all pretty good stuff. It's all stuff you're either not going to hear or, like, Elvis Costello kind of stuff that like, you know but you're not going to hear on, like, FM radio that much. And, um, and yet it, it's all kind of very middle of the road. And, you know, their song choices aren't, aren't adventurous enough, and FMUs are too adventurous, and, like, I can't sort of settle in and just, just play it in the background and enjoy it. Because I think too much about, like, oh, these songs didn't go well together. That wasn't a good transition. The DJs, you know, should tighten it up a little bit. And I just kind of tend to analyze because I understand how it mm-hmm. works. Not that I don't have my own issues talking to the radio, because I go way too fast. And that's the, the only negative reviews I've ever had on the podcast are... Uh, this guy talks too fast, <laughs> and I know that about myself. And I thought, like, that's just that—that that is who I am, and you have to accept me for who I am. Mm-hmm. I I found that uh, what you're talking about is true. Like, 
when you learn how to play chords on a guitar, um, and you can see that, uh, oh, that's a, they're playing a D and a C, and then there's an A minor. There's a definite demystification that happens to that, where before you know that stuff, it's just kind of like, oh, those are, that sounds great, you know? And sometimes I wish for that, uh, you know, pre, uh, you know, um, demes, you know, where I was still caught up in the illusion of, of, of the magic of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's, there's kind of, there's kind of levels. Like, sometimes you real, you know, like you, you learn how something works. Like with music, you, you learn to play chords on the guitar and then you hear a song, you're like, oh, they're just playing these easy chords. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes, um, when somebody does it really well, then knowing what the process is, they're like, oh, these took, they took these easy chords and just made something like, you know, like listen to McCartney playing Get Back. Yeah. It's, um, it's almost like a Velvet Underground song in its simplicity. That it's just like one chord and then a little refrain that, dan, dan, at the end of, uh, like it's almost like Sister Ray just sped up and peppier. <laughs> um, like Lou Reed had a great, cor- great quote that was, uh, like one chord is ideal, two chords is pushing it, three chords you're getting into jazz. <laughs> Which he clearly said with some disapproval, and like that's get back. This is the song. It's it's the simplest thing. Um, and so on one hand, you could look at it and say, "Oh, that's so easy," but it's not. It's not easy to make something that simple that compelling. Get brunch because get brunch because <laughs> get brunch to where you once belong. I'm gonna go get brunch. That's what I'm. Oh, sounds gonna mean. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Although sometimes get the song get back, it's too rock and roll for me. I like, a, a it's, it's, uh, although man, when, uh, when Billy Preston shows up, he just makes everything so much better. Talk about oh, yeah. bringing it's, some it's, jazz in there. Yeah. It's such a shot in the arm for the band and he's all over Abbey Road too, which I didn't realize mm-hmm. they don't, they don't credit him on the album where they do with get, with get back. Well, this we like you said we could we could do this all day, um, and I, I always love when you come on the show, Mike Vago. Thank you so much for for being here today. Hey, thank thank you for having me. I'm, I always enjoy coming on the show. All right, um, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, great. Thanks again. All right, peace. Get brunch. Get brunch. Right. Thanks to Mike Vago. You know something I liked as a kid, and then it it kind of drifted a little bit. Man, I liked I loved the monkeys so much, and um, I know some people are like kind of stayed with the monkeys their whole life. I, I you know I guess there was a thing where it was like, oh well, they they were like not really a band; they were just put together. It's kind of like a boy band. But then you had people who knew. Oh no, they're incredible songwriters, and they're hilarious, and they're uh, brilliant. Um, but I think the monkeys were I think the 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 greatest hit the greatest hits record was the first uh tape cassette that I ever bought. And one of my favorite songs is Pleasant Valley Sunday. Um did Carol King write it, maybe? Is that correct? Um But Michael Nesmith uh just passed away, so I thought we would 
honor him as as we go out. Next week, I will be here counting down the top ten moments of the year. And it's it's going to be a, a, a tough chore because at 52 shows I don't I don't take a break I didn't do uh I was I was here or or doing a pre-record new show every every week so it's it's going to be uh fun to try to cram it all in um if you're listening on your phone you can download the app for your uh um if you're listening on your computer you can download the app for your phone um and then the week after that uh, we're going to do our Christmas spectacular. So um, until then, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Race to the Bottom. Thanks for tuning in. Peace. Seem to stray to places far away. I need a change.